Welcome to ITAD Talk and part two in this series. Here is your host, Jeff Bittner. So then when you're working with the various clients, they, they aren't they don't appear to be picky then about the certifications and things like that. Because like in our, our business, not everybody is, but there there are a fair amount. I mean, they're just kind of worried about the, the data, mm-hmm. you know, and if everything's wiped properly. And so, so that's kind of where a little bit of that comes into play. Yeah, I just uh, started reading that book. I think we all got a copy of it from ITAD. But um, something about data security. And I was like... Yeah, no, um, a lot of that. So we will, from where we buy in the supply chain, oftentimes that's already done. And if not, it's not a very um, difficult process, but um, to at least erase the data. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what we purchase may not, um, you know, routing and switching, there's not a lot of memory on there that's going to be storing these um, types of things like as opposed to like somebody's laptop, you know? Understood. Um, so like, yeah, we don't have to crush or do things like that. But for us, it would be more like, okay, well, if a corporate client came to us, and we would provide the most money on this, you know, buyback scenario for this portion of the hardware, then we would partner with somebody who is R2 certified or something like that in order to destroy things properly. So... Right. Yeah. And I remember at the ITED uh, summit show that uh, that was kind of one of the talks that was going on about uh, partnering with various companies uh, in your space, whether it be, you know, if you're doing a, a foreign takeout or, or things, things of that nature. Yeah, we recently did a takeout. Um, it was one data center in the United States and then two international uh, data centers. So uh, it worked out really well for us. But um so what, what do you see as some of the uh, biggest challenges working in the IT sales area? Just the ability to, especially in my job, because it's constant hustle. You don't turn off at all. Uh, um, yeah. It's being able to uh, keep up with what's changing um, along product lines, you know, whether what's happening in the industry, what new protocol, you know, you're, uh, this engineer that you're talking to is, is all about, and, um, you know, how does that work with the chipset in this switch as opposed to the chipset in the switch that was introduced two years later or something like that, or maybe his network's based on, um, that prior chipset. So they want to stick to that. It's just all, how do you keep building this, um, you know, library of technical knowledge and, that's uh and, and staying current and also being kind of like a maybe six year switch historian you know right so that's that takes a lot of um i don't know nerding out to yeah well it's kind of like around. a little bit of an artist too because you've got to have all that that kind of uh technical knowledge and it's not like uh it's either like this or like that there's a lot of things that vary that you have the product knowledge for so that's 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 really important right and that's where i try to differentiate myself with like say someone who just came on to a sales desk and is you know looking for a client is if you're going to call me we're going to have that conversation it's going to be done or i'm going to find an answer for you and it's not going to take you more than 20 minutes whereas you know 
other times, and this is just true for sales in general, I think, um, is you're kind of like trying to perfect it as an art or working at it as an art. Um, you just, you want to use less of your client's time because you realize how important it is. So when you um, quote a job, how long does it typically take for you to, like if somebody's offering you various switches and, and things like that, I mean, is, is the pricing pretty stable and you've kind of got it or do you kind of have to, uh, you know, kind of work on that? Maybe it takes you 24 hours or 48 hours to, to turn, turn around pricing? Yeah, if we have something in stock, I mean, I, I can price the variety of most of what people will come to us for off the top of my head. But if it's something that I have to go look for, it, it's it's a 48-hour turnaround at most. Um, is, is, is it like then, that when you're when you're buying too? Or, or do you kind of know, know the buy prices on all the products? Or do you kind of have to check market price and see if some product's being flooded and so on? Yeah, you do definitely want to do your due diligence before you, you know, put down a hundred thousand dollars on <laughs> one line item or something like that. Um, yeah. But we're pretty, uh, we communicate a lot as a team. So I talk with my boss, talk with another sales partner, and just kind of judge what um, whether this item's been selling or what we paid for it historically. However, what we found is for ourselves, <clears throat> I think. We're always worried, oh, did we buy too much? Mm. And unless it's a, a real crapshoot of a switch or something that, that just doesn't have legs, um, we've never been caught in that type of predicament wow. where we lose ourselves on something. And That's great. Yeah, it's, we're pretty lucky. But we also, you know, don't wander too far out of uh, or off the trail from what we're typically used to where that might be giving up some opportunity for revenue, but it certainly hasn't sunk our ship. So that's so far so good on that. So do you have yeah. any um, stories of challenging customers or clients? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> a few. <laughs> I, I do have a few. Most of them have been really cool over the years. Um, I, I live in uh, an environment where for myself, my business has grown through referrals, and I absolutely love that. So I will take referrals um, and and work with clients of clients or friends of clients and that type of thing. But, you know, the scenario, and this took me a long time to learn in the beginning, was like, you know, the guy who wants you on the phone at uh, 3.30 or 4.30 on a Friday afternoon <sighs> Like, do not establish that relationship <laughs> into anything because that's what a lot of your um, communication is going to look like. And I had a client like that who was uh, eventually had some kind of, you know, bad uh, reputation that I didn't, re or mm. maybe scarred reputation that I didn't know about. I think he was doing some kind of like spam emailing out of Vegas or I don't even know what it was. And then I'd get on the phone on a Saturday, you know, on my time off having done something at lunch or whatever, talking to some engineer that he just hired on a whim. And mm. then you'd notice, uh, you know, a, a month later that would be a different engineer. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm just, I don't care if I'm losing business. I'm not going to pick up that phone, you know, at four thirty <laughs> on a Friday, unless it's someone I know. So, yeah. So, so, so then some of the people that are buying the equipment and, and, and placing it, they may not 
have all the skill sets and they're trying to troubleshoot for for their clients and they're trying to use you for the technical knowledge is that kind of what it's like or yes okay yes for sure and we are not that um oftentimes you know uh it's like you should at least go get a quote from the oem or talk to them or understand and, and most of our clients do if they're not dealing with them already so by the time they come to us they have a you know, it's not, they're not coming to us just about price because sometimes they do need uh, support, you know, 24 hour support or uh, next day business replacement or things that we can't necessarily provide. So, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely uh, difficult customers are, are, are not, not much fun for sure. Do you, do you have any horror stories? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Um... You know, it seems like uh, we're we really have to watch out for is when we're buying a product, and uh, you know sometimes, I mean it's gotten better, but I mean we used to deal with a lot of the the recyclers, which we, we kind of don't as much anymore. We kind of more so deal with the with the corporate clients, but a lot of times mm -hmm. they would you know tell you everything is grade A. They'd want you to prepay for it. And then you get the material and 25% of it's junk and then you try to get an RMA and they just, you know, they're impossible to try to, to get a, a return from. So those sorts of things, which, which we don't really have those problems currently. So which, which is much better. So totally. You just reminded me of one other thing. So it's like, if you ask me about a tough client versus if you were going to ask, you know, accounting, and this is mm -hmm. always something in our business because these new companies pop up all the time is how do you sort of establish that line of credit with somebody that, um, you know, doesn't have a ton of business history. And that's always a very, very fine thing to balance. But, you know, I'd say maybe over the 10 years, we've had to go into collections on someone maybe five times or threaten, mm. but um, it's usually pretty rare. So we try to sniff all that stuff out in the beginning, but I definitely wouldn't be extending credit or paying cash up front for people you don't have like um, a long history or established history of business with. So is, is a large percentage of your business then on like net 30 terms? It is now, I would say, yeah. So did, um, was that, I mean, like a problem during the shutdowns and things? I mean, were people kind of slow paying during that period or, or did it seem to f function well? Um, I don't think, you know, there was a scare in the beginning, but our business being an essential business, um, is pretty much chugged right along. Some months were a little bit slower than others. Um, some months were you know, incredibly better than what we did previously a year before. So, uh, I, I think it was more of a, um, a, a fear than, than a reality of people not being able to pay. But I do remember talking to a couple of clients who were in um, entertainment and they would mm. be doing things like um, post-production with film um, or, yeah, or digital post-production and all that. And that business like slowed, slowed up for them or you, you know, anyone. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because we actually did a takeout for a film studio. So it's uh, uh, quite interesting because I mean a lot of the equipment was just so high end. I mean they had these uh, server backpacks and uh, these uh, goggles where you could be in a 
foreign country and see yourself walk down the street. I mean, this, uh, I mean, the, the techs were in heaven back there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool stuff. So I think, uh, yeah, I think the last question I had was uh, how the processes and methods have changed since you started. And I, I think you kind of covered some of that. I, I don't know if you had anything more to, to add on that or not. I would just say for someone in ourselves, like we're, I keep going back to the term like unique as a company, but, you know, as reps who still do their own buying and selling and stocking, um, you know, and uh, what would you call it, even business development, things like that. We wear so many different hats that it's like over the years <clears throat> going from like a pen and paper to which I still use all the time, by the way, but to having a more um, kind of technological way of keeping your notes and your work for, workflow organized with like tools or Salesforce or, um, mm -hmm. you know, CRM, different, different right. types of CRMs. Yeah. That's, that's been super important because without a CRM, I mean, there's no way that I could, um, juggle a couple hundred clients and stay in touch with them and things like that. Um, so just sort of trying to, and, and there are more tools as times developed over the last decade, but um, that that's important for me to s stay up on as a salesperson. And I, and I know I'm, I'm okay at using those tools. I'm not super efficient, but that's, um, that's probably something that I've had to change over the years. Hey, hey, so one question kind of that goes a little bit along with that. How do you guys manage, um, like, for each salesperson's budget on what they can go out and procure? And then, because a lot of times uh, salespeople, like, when they're buying a lot, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, 80% of it's flippable prime merchandise, 20% of it's mm -hmm. slow mover. And then, you know, of course, and that, that keeps adding up over time. So do you guys have <coughs> some sort of mechanism they have to kind of make the salespeople kind of keep flushing out old stock? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the boss's scrutiny, really. It's, it's not much more than that. And if you have a reputation of, you know, putting gear into stock that you don't sell or turn over that quickly, then, you know, your buys get more and more scrutinized. Mm -hmm. So we don't, we don't unfortunately have like effective processes in place for that, but it's kind of worked. So, you know, if you have a history of buying the right item and, you know, the gross profit is good to excellent on it, then your buys are pretty much going to go in question. But yeah, every now and then, um, and we have a smaller, I'd say we have smaller warehouse space. So if the boss is going through there, it's getting checked and this corner of the warehouse isn't moving, then that's, that's a bad sign, but that to me, <laughs> inventory, right. inventory, especially this stuff. I mean, it could, it could consume you and just drive you in a deep depression if you don't <laughs> control it somehow. So luckily that's not really my, my issue, but, um, if it were, yeah, I would, I would be very careful of taking on, um, certain items for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, add or uh, that you thought of based upon the different topics we talked about? Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, <clears throat> you know, 
our industry, quote unquote, like where do you see it going in the next five years or, uh, oh, okay. yeah, let's just start with that one. Let's yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, I mean, we see a lot of companies going to, to the cloud. So, uh, Obviously, there won't be a lot of repeat uh, business there, except for, you know, the infrastructure that they have, you know, like desktops and laptops and things like that. So um, that's kind of one one trend that, that we see. But it, it does seem like that, you know, in certain sectors, you know, whether it be healthcare and things like that, that those institutions want to control that data. So um, there's kind of like kind of both things moving uh, forward. Uh, but um, yeah, I guess the question will probably be, I mean, is is it eventually going to be uh, Microsoft and, and, and Google and, and things that, that kind of uh, will control all the data center markets? Or is there still going to be, you know, those companies that, that have their own own data centers? So, I mean, I mean, currently it looks like that's going to be the case. But um, is there anything that, that you're seeing uh, on that? Well, you mentioned, you know, companies going to the cloud, there's a ton of cloud service providers out there. And, you know, Google, Amazon always comes up um, because they're ginormous, but there's other people doing clouds in every country across the world. So, um, you know, have, have you guys thought about, oh, okay, well, we understand, you know, this whole cloud thing now. Why don't we see what, you know, what kind of hardware cloud service providers are using and what do they do or, you know, cause I feel like that's how we've sort of, I've heard about this before where, Oh, our industry is going to be over because people don't maintain like little racks in, in their office buildings anymore. Um, well that was dying 10 years ago and stuff was moving into data centers. So it's hmm. kind of like that's as long right. as there's, yeah, you know, as long as there's data centers, um, Maybe maybe I'm not well enough educated about the whole topic, but I just I'm kind of a believer in the uh, the underdog and the smaller company because that's primarily who we deal with. And some of those go on to be much larger companies that they're acquired. But I just feel like there's always going to be competition um, for high end hardware and sort of like entrepreneurial people who want to do different things with it. Right, um, and it seems like too. I mean, in our industry. You don't necessarily have to be a first mover, but I mean, if you kind of follow the money and get in back of where the money's moving and just yeah. make, make sure, because I mean, if the money's starting to uh, go down to a trickle, then, then you know you're in the in the wrong the wrong sector, right? Correct, yes. Yeah, so maybe that's what we've been doing too is sort of following the money because if we had stayed with, yeah, a certain segment of clients that I don't analyzing it now. I don't know what it is, but 10 years ago to today, it's very different. So, um, yeah, I could see if you had a large corporate client that you're selling all these, uh, laptops and PCs to and these big networking environments who are moving to the cloud, then yeah, that could be a problem. But I, I mean, it seems like too that anytime you have a speciality and you keep adding skills, that that's going to kind of make you more valuable to your your corporate clients. So when I kind of first started in the industry, I was dealing with a lot of uh, 
you know, uh, Intel processors and, and I mean, we still are in, in memory and things mm -hmm. like that. But, you know, a few years ago, before we really got into the data center market, I went out to visit some of those people that we would trade parts with. And I went to see this one guy and he, had, he was actually in Northern California. I mean, the guy still had like the a monochrome monitor on his desk. He had an inventory, a lot of it in back of him on shelves, everything he was doing on paper, he would still use faxes. And I mean, the oh, guy God. had like a million dollars in inventory that was probably, you know, worth, you know, somewhat less than what he paid for it, kind of waiting for the market to, to come back. And I kind of looked at him and I thought, you know, I never want to be him. <laughs> so, Ouch. Yeah. So that, that's, that's when I started uh, moving our, our company forward into the, uh, the data center market. And uh, so it's been a, a really good, good move for us. And I mean, the, the whole way along, we've had to, you know, learn new skills and get all the certifications and, uh, you know, yep. learning how to wipe the hard drives and the data. And, and then, you know, like with the kind of, um, the servers that come in that uh, those get put back to factory resets and that there's, <clears throat> you know, it makes sure there's no settings that uh, are the way the company had them set up. So there's no pathways back into those uh, corporate networks and, and things like that. So it's kind of been a, uh, you know, a learning experience, but uh, you know, I think that's what kind of makes the, the, the business fun, right? Yes. Yes. Cause otherwise I mean, you look at it and it's just, it is what it is. It's junk piles of gear. And yeah, the fun part is definitely, um, I mean, meeting somebody like yourself or, you know, going to these shows and kind of putting together the pieces of how our industry works. But piece by piece, I think it's like, yeah, it's kind of a bland, bleak thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, if yeah. we can be of help or partner on some deals too, where, you know, we could, you know, use our certifications if uh, if you bump up against that, that's where that's necessary. You know, we'd be glad to do you know a partnership on a on a on a transaction for sure. Some deals, so because I mean you've you've yeah. got a really good skill set there. So I mean the specialization is because I mean we're dealing with so many different um, you know like Dell and HP and Supermicro servers, and then mm -hmm. you've got all the different brands of the networking gear and. And then um, you've got all the components and, uh, you know, we're, we're really strong in memory and processors still because that's kind of the background that I came from. And, and we can mm -hmm. um, do repairs on those. And uh, a lot of times high-end processors come in that are damaged and we've got the ability to, to repair those. I mean, we got like 600 different co uh, components back there that, uh, you know, we can repair the broken caps and, 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 re and resistors and everything like that. So, yeah, for example, um, I forget what those uh, back the line cards are, you know, um, they're notoriously they break in shipping at times. Mm -hmm. um, do you guys do repairs like that or? Yeah. Yeah. So if you need some of that repair, oh, yeah, cool. yeah, we can. We invite you to follow and subscribe to the ITAD Talk podcast your source for conversations with luminaries, visionaries, and innovators in the fields of business and technology. You can find the latest episode at itadtalk.com and on all your favorite podcast apps. And don't forget, the best way to support ITAD content is to rate and like the show on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or anywhere you might listen.